Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. You're listening to the Irish Times Women's Podcast. I'm Roisin Ingle. On today's show, I'm going to be talking to Helen Dealey of the HSC about My Options, the abortion information service which went online on January 1st when the abortion legislation finally became law. I can't believe I'm saying that. It still sounds quite amazing. But first, our co-producer Jennifer Ryan has joined me in studio to talk about an exhibition currently taking place at EPIC, which is the Irish Emigration Museum at CHQ in Dublin. Jennifer, the exhibition is called Blazing a Trail and it sounded right up our street Mm-hmm. So you went along. What's it all about? Yes, Roisin, it's called Blazing a Trail, Lives and Legacies of Irish Diaspora Women. And as you mentioned, it's running at EPIC, which is the Irish Immigration Museum, and that is at CHQ in Dublin. And that will run until January 18th. And what this exhibition is doing is it's celebrating 21 pioneering Irish diaspora women of the 19th and 20th centuries. And you might have heard of some of them, you might not have heard of others, but they all blazed a trail in a wide range of fields. And it's a collaboration between EPIC and Her Story, who we feature heavily on this podcast uh, a couple of years ago when they started up and the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade. Some of the Irish women featured include the designer and architect Eileen Gray, computer programming pioneer Kay McNulty, poet, mystic and trade unionist Eva Gore Booth. What a great job list there. Uh, tennis champion Mabel Cahill. I mean, I love Mabel Cahill. I, yeah. She's someone I only heard of very recently. I think it's amazing. amazing Her story is great, actually, yeah. and there's lovely artwork to go with it as well. And also the medical missionary uh, sister, Dr. Maura Lynch and I love this one, Most Dangerous Woman in America, Mother Jones. Yeah. And Dr. Angela Burns, who I met over there, she is the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade Historian in Residence at EPIC and she's the curator of Blazing a Trail and she kindly gave me a guided tour of the exhibition and I started by asking her if she thinks that women like those in Blazing a Trail who've been written out of history for so long are now beginning to get the recognition that they deserve. I think they're starting to. I mean, part of the problem was that academic historians for the last 40 years were working on these women but it wasn't kind of trickling out from the university walls to a wider audience and I think we're in a space now um, where learning is more accessible and I think with social media and everything and there's been a flourishing of public events I think more than ever um, free public exhibitions talks and so on there seems to be something happening in Dublin every week and um, I just think we're in a really good time now where people are thirsting for more information about this stuff and in many ways the information is more accessible than ever and academics are being enabled in new ways to kind of spread the news further than they have been in the past. Do you think there's a change as well in public consciousness about women um, in history and the role that they played because of a, a shift in societal attitudes towards women's rights as well? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, women at least are desperate to celebrate their foremothers and I think that we can all find, be that through our own family story or our own experiences um, professionally or personally in our private lives we can find so much in their stories that resonates with us 
you know, when I hear about how um, Professor Kathleen Lonsdale was enabled to be an academic because she had one senior professor who took into account her need to pay for childcare when he was negotiating her salary as his research assistant. That was so forward thinking and that was 60, 70 years ago. And that really resonates with me as a woman in academia. You know, um, there were um, allies who helped these women as well get to where they were, be they colleagues or family members or other supporters. And I think that resonates strongly today as well because we still need that allyship we still need people around us to help us and be that with childcare or whatever it might be um so yeah the stories are really inspirational i think one of the kind of sad things is the continuation of the themes actually over a long time how many women are featured in this exhibition we may as well walk on a little bit more actually oh, so we're looking at sport here and humanitarianism is there anyone here that their story speaks to you so you asked how many women are in the exhibition there's 21 and they're in six different areas of work i have a big place in my heart for sister dr maura lynch um, she just died over a year ago and um, she was only in her 70s and um, she transformed the lives of thousands of women in Africa um, with her pioneering surgery in the area of obstetric fistula and it was a condition that I knew almost nothing about before I started to research Sister Dr Lynch um, but it's so simple to address but it's just not accessible for so so many women and the condition basically renders women doubly incontinent and it's normally caused by a protracted or obstructed labour so it is a it's a condition of poverty and it results in these women being ostracised from their family homes and and from their um, wider kinship groups so um she went to Uganda in the 1980s and worked there for 30 years, transforming thousands of lives, fundraised for basic equipment like lamps for her surgery by doing runs and things like that and really kept in touch with home as well to try and affect that fundraising work. And um, there's a lovely quote from her. We've got it hanging in the window here. It's something like, the greatest use of a life is to create something that will outlast it. And she certainly did. That's brilliant. So apart from the stories of these women and the artwork, is there anything else we can expect in the exhibition? Yeah, as you go in the door, there is this notice board straight in front of you and it's covered in pink post-it notes with different women's names on it. So I won't spoil it. I'll let Dr. Byrne tell you uh, exactly what's going on there. So we thought it would be just lovely to give people a chance to engage with the exhibition and to really think about what they were seeing when they walked through it. So we left a blank panel and we just put some post-its sitting on a table with some pens and we've asked people to nominate their history heroine it can be somebody from the exhibition but actually the overwhelming majority of them aren't and people have brought their own knowledge and we've even learned about a couple of um, diaspora women who we didn't know an awful lot about from the first run of the exhibition back in November so I'll just talk you through some of them here some of them are absolutely gorgeous some of them are celebrities like uh, Sinead O'Connor we've Michelle Obama here and then we have kind of mythological women like Queen Maeve going back in his Someone's written Grace O'Malley. Grania Whale is there twice, actually. And someone in a child's writing has written My Mum because she never gives up and has drawn three hearts. And some of them are absolutely gorgeous. I actually see somebody's written Dr. Angela Byrne there as well. That's a little bit embarrassing. I did not plant that there. <laughs> I see Kate Bush is featuring quite heavily as well. Kate Bush is here three or four times. I'm not sure if she's got a new single out or something. Um, but what's absolutely lovely is the geographical range of these so they're not all Irish women and I think as well these are really interesting because they say something about 
the headlines in relation to women, women's issues and politics at the moment. So we're seeing names like Ivana Bacic, Nancy Pelosi, um, who else is here? Rosa Parks, um, Eleanor Roosevelt is there as well. There's a flowering of understanding at the moment about women's positions in politics and the potential that we have to affect change. And our long relationship to radical politics and social justice, which I've also tried to demonstrate in the exhibition with including people like Elizabeth Gurley Flynn and Mother Jones and so on. Um, So I think it's lovely that people are starting to see that long genealogy now and to feel somehow part of that longer story. There's a video playing in the background as well, which uh, you got some familiar names, Tara Flynn and Dr. Kira Kelly. They, they're talking about women from the exhibition that they were inspired by. That's right. So we invited four women from Irish public life working in four very different areas to come and speak to us about their favourite woman from the exhibition. And they all engaged so beautifully with the women's stories and they all seemed really kind of grabbed by the power of some of these women and how they fought um, to participate in the areas of work that they did. So you mentioned Kira Kelly. Um, we introduced her to Aline Cust. I think that Kira hadn't heard of her before, but um, on the morning that we did the recording, she came in and stood in front of the camera and spoke so beautifully about, um, as another woman in STEM, how difficult it was for Aline Cust to become the first veterinary surgeon, the first woman veterinary surgeon in Britain and Ireland. And um, we know a little bit from the contemporary newspapers what a struggle that was for Aline Cust. It was so scandalous. Um, to the Irish press in the early 20th century. Remember, this is 1906. You know, it's 12 years before partial suffrage. And uh, they were scandalised that a woman was going to be working with big animals, valuable animals like cattle and horses. And they said, you know, we might be able to cope if it was kittens and puppies. But it was the fact that she was going to be working with big agricultural animals in a very male sphere. But um, she persisted. And she ended up being very well loved in Roscommon and East Galway, where she worked, um, before getting in her car and driving to the Western Front in 1915 to volunteer um, with the veterinary corps to care for the tens of thousands of horses who served us in, uh, in the First World War. So the exhibition is running until January 18th. So can you explain to listeners what to expect when they get here and if we can expect to see it pop up other places? It will travel to other locations. So because we're working in collaboration with the Department of Foreign Affairs, it's going to travel around at least 20 Irish embassies worldwide in 2019, which is just wonderful in all corners of the world. Um, the, the exact venues haven't been announced yet, but do keep an eye out for that. And um, when people come to visit the exhibition, I think First of all, what they can expect to see is something that is visually delightful. And we were really lucky to get on board the artist Jabosh Kariko, who has worked with the History Project in the past and who produced for us six original portraits of his six favourite women from the exhibition. And we have free commemorative postcards um, with those portraits to give to visitors as well. So um, you'll be visually delighted um, with the lovely graphic design as well by Joanne Byrne and Heather Dowling. And then... You can expect, um, I think, to be moved by some of the stories and to be entertained by others. And I think that every woman and hopefully many men who will visit will um, uh, find themselves jarred by some of the hard continuities in the circumstances of women in various professions, but also kind of given hope and enjoyment, really, um, by the stories of the allies that we've also tried to pick out who helped these women achieve what they did.
Oh, there's some great stories there. And just remind listeners where it is and how long it's running for, because it sounds like something that everyone will want to go to. Yeah, and it's a really nice thing to just pop into, I think, because it's it won't take you too long and it's uh, it's quite a small exhibition, but there's a lot going on in there. Some, and it'd be nice to take the time to read the stories. And if you're interested, so it's running at the Epic Museum, which is at the CHQ building in Dublin until January 18th. So get it while it's still there. But it is a travelling exhibition, as Dr. Byrne mentioned in that last clip. So if you're living abroad and you'd like to see it, do keep an eye on the Epic website and on Twitter too to find out if it might be coming to your city. Yeah, I have to confess a terrible thing that I haven't been to Epic yet, but this is the one. I mean, there's been loads of great things on it, but this is the one that's going to finally make me cross over the river there. Good. It's just two it's minutes from this building office. as well. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's a great facility and it's a um, lovely place to go and have coffee afterwards as well. So we'll be going. Thanks very much, Jenny, for that. Now, abortion law came into effect from January 1st and we have spoken so much on this podcast fighting for that law to be there. So the fact that it's finally here is kind of momentous. And this is the first time on the podcast we're going to be talking about abortion since it's legal. So a big deal for us and I know for many, many of you listening. And personally, having had to travel for an abortion myself in the past, I find it quite seismic that if I was in the same situation today, or if any woman in Ireland is, that she can go onto myoptions.ie and find out all about the different choices she has and decide what is the best choice for her in that situation. Now, obviously, it's a private medical issue. And in the same way, a man doesn't go around shouting about his vasectomy. A woman is not necessarily going to want to go around shouting about her abortion. We don't actually have to do that anymore. We did in the past when we were trying to campaign. But the thing you can do is go and find out in a normal way that you would in any other medical procedure, you can find out how you can get an abortion if that's what you choose to do. When you think back to 1989, when Ivana Bacic was, you know, threatened with prison uh, uh, and taken to court by the pro-life group Spook for just providing information on abortion, it's just incredible to think that we are in this position now. So we wanted to talk about it. Now, we are very aware that there are still serious issues that need to be ironed out and things we need to fight for. There are issues around the three-day mandatory waiting period, the strict 12-week deadline and the number of providers which some people are concerned will mean that there will still be women who have to travel because of all those issues. And we are going to be keeping a very close eye on all those issues. But today we wanted to bring in Helen Dealey from My Options, from the HSE, to talk about what a woman in Ireland facing an unexpected or crisis pregnancy can do. Helen, as I mentioned there in my intro, it is kind of momentous that now if you're in a crisis pregnancy in Ireland, uh, you can go to a website and you can get information that will help you, that will help you make your choice that you want to make and that will be true. And there's none of this cloak and dagger stuff anymore. When I had an abortion, when I needed one, it was a totally different experience. So I'm just really personally on that level. It's it's amazing for women in Ireland now. So, so tell us about a woman who finds herself pregnant. She's not uh, sure whether she wants to have a baby or not. She's in crisis. What can she do? So abortion is legally available here for women under 12 weeks since the 1st of January. The My Options website, as you said, Roisin has the information available and, and it provides very detailed information for women about how they access an abortion service in Ireland. So it provides information uh, on an unplanned pregnancy and unplanned pregnancy support. And women can be redirected straight away to the My Options helpline. So My Options is a free phone HSE counselling service that provides support, information and counselling to any person experiencing an unplanned pregnancy. It will provide information uh, on abortion and the availability of abortion services in Ireland, 
where and how women can access an abortion. And it will also provide support to women who are undecided in terms of whether they want to continue their pregnancy or what other information and support they'd like. The counsellor can provide a session to the woman straight away on the phone and provide a counselling service or they can refer a woman to -to face-to-face counselling throughout the country. The other thing about the My Options helpline to say is that it also provides access to a 24-7 nurse line. So if a woman has taken the abortion pill or has experienced any complications following taking the pill, then she can phone the same number and get redirected straight away to a nurse line and that nurse line operates 24-7. And if a woman uh, is very sure she wants to have an abortion and she talks to the counsellor and uh, she can ask for um, information about what GP closest to her can help her with that. So So, how does that work? Yeah, so a woman can can either decide to contact her own GP locally and find out if they're providing abortion services or she can phone the helpline. So when she phones the helpline um, and she talks to someone and she says, I would like information where I can get an abortion, she'll be asked where does she live or what area she'd like to go to. So so she'd be given contact details of a GP provider near her or, or her pref- preferred area, which may not be nearer to her. Um, and the woman will be given two options or three options of different GPs if that's what she wants. So then the woman will contact the GP directly herself and she'll make an appointment and she'll be offered an appointment as soon as possible within that GP practice. So the woman turns up to the GP on her first visit. The GP talks to the woman, talks to the process. Is she sure about what she wants and outlines the procedure? And if the woman agrees and consents to that uh, and it's a written consent, then she'll go away and she'll return after three days. So there's a three-day wait for a second visit. Now, there is some controversy around that three-day waiting. Some people feel it's going to, you know, prevent people who need uh, an abortion straight away from getting it, that they don't need three days, that they've worked this out in their head. What's your own take on that? I suppose it's the law. That's what you have to operate under. But Yeah, I mean, it's a legislative requirement. Uh, The important thing from our perspective, I suppose, is that we'll monitor how that impacts on women and how they access service. And what it does is it gives women time. You know, um, and, and I suppose the first message to say is that if women are considering an abortion, the sooner they go and discuss and talk to someone about that, the better. So that's the key message is really women, the earlier they go, the earlier they access services, then the better it is for the woman. So the, the key thing about the three day is that it gives a woman time. She may change her mind. She may not change her mind. But sometimes people need a bit of time and space just to consider and to be sure. Um, but as I said, we'll monitor the three-day wait, and we'll see how that impacts on women in terms of services and access services. And as you know, the the legislation is going to be reviewed within two years. Exactly, and those are the things that will be looked at at that point. I suppose it's just from my own point of view, I suppose knowing that very early and very quickly that I wanted an abortion, you don't need that time and space if you're in that headspace. Well, I certainly didn't. I can't talk for everyone. But I think it's good that it's being monitored and that will be looked at again. Now, one of the other things is the scarcity or the the low uh, take-up from GPs of of GPs who are willing to offer the service to women under nine weeks who can get the abortion pill. Tell me where we're at with that now. Uh, How many GPs have signed up? So currently, 217 GPs have signed up and over half of them are available on the My Options website. GPs have the options to have their information available publicly or not. Um, But what we know in the HSE is that GPs are signing up every day. 
Um, and I suppose we just have to look at it in the context of it being a new service, it being rolled out nationally with multiple providers, and it takes time, but it will grow momentum. And uh, we can see that happening on a daily basis. The GPs that are currently providing the service are absolutely committed to supporting women and ensuring that women get that service. And they've really worked extremely hard with the HSE to make sure that the service was up and running and available to women at the beginning of January. I know that um, it's changing all the time and that, that you know people are signing up, but uh, is it still the case that in four counties in Ireland there aren't GPs who are willing to provide the service? There are a few counties, and I don't know exactly today what, what, what the situation is, Roisin, but there were a few counties, I should say. Um, and that really is not an issue you know, for, for people in Ireland because sometimes people will not want to go to a local provider. And as you know, boundary counties can be 10 or 20 miles or women may opt to come to one of the centres in Dublin, like the IFPA or the Well Woman, and just so so it's not posing to be a problem for women. Okay, um, and just to clarify, we have already had women going to their GPs and accessing abortion services, but we just won't know how many yet until if the department choose to release those numbers. That, that's correct. So the GP has to notify the department of um, all abortions that are carried out and, and the department will gather that data. The HSE will, will monitor that data over time and we look at trends and, and it's about providing support and services to women. So that data will be important down the line for us. Now, Paul Cullen wrote an article in this newspaper where he was very critical of um, the the rollout of the service and he had many different issues but he talked about it coming in too soon and that it was you called it a box ticking exercise from your own point of view do you feel that was is any merit in what he's saying I have to say that you know I've been working with the HSE uh, my colleagues in the HSE uh, numerous of them with the ICGP the Institute of Ops and Gynae um, with other contracted service providers for the last number of months and everybody has worked extremely hard to try and get abortion services up and running for the beginning of the year um, it was never going to be perfect or ideal but we're dealing with issues that arise on a daily basis everybody is trying to facilitate women to access abortion services and the momentum is growing and it's growing on a daily basis. So it may not have been perfect, but it may never have been perfect no matter when it started. Yeah, and I should say he isn't critical of the HSE staff as such. He's more talking about it from a, a governmental level, I think, that he feels it was brought in too quickly. And that has been something other people have said too. But we are here and it's it's being provided. So is there anything you can give us in terms of you know, any feedback at this point? Are you, do you, are you getting kind of feedback from women or is there anything on that level that you can talk to us about? Well, we know that the, the um, My Options helpline has been busy um, and we expected it to be busy because, you know, we anticipated that women would wait rather than travelling to England. So that seems to be the surge at this stage. Uh, the numbers are beginning to level off now that we're just over a week uh, into providing the service. And we also know that GPs are completely committed around the country to providing the service. So GPs are working, their surgeries are staying open, they're providing the service to women and we're all working in terms of trying to iron out any little problems that may arise. Um, I suppose we haven't come across uh, any issues but we would say you know, that people should have patience uh, if they're having difficulty get through to the helpline, 
leave a message, they'll get a call back. So, so, but it is, everything appears to be working and women are accessing and getting abortion services. I just want to stay with the GP service for a minute before we move on to, say, if you were before 12 weeks and you're going to be going to the hospital, which we'll, we'll talk about in a minute. But um, you will know the, the protest that happened um, in Galway outside the health clinic. And there is a concern there for people who, you know, want to go and access the service that they're going to be faced with that, which is obviously not ideal when you're at such a vulnerable time. Um, we don't have exclusion zones as part of the legislation. So th- those people are legally allowed to stand outside. What's the situation there? The Department of Health is, is talking to the Department of Justice and they're trying to push through that legislation. But for now, have you any advice for people who may be coming up against that or, you know, or maybe deterred from attending because they're worried about uh, protests? I mean, it's up to the local provider, but, you know, support from local Gardaí will be available. Um, if if women are worried, then, then again, phone the My Options, try and get another GP. Um, given given the, the vote, Roisin, we're always going to have conscientious objectors, we're always going to have people objecting. It's new for us and it's something that we just have to work through and learn and try and support the providers and support women through the process. There's a very supportive uh, hashtag on Twitter, I don't know if you've seen it, called hashtag Shulum, which means walk with me. And there's all these people saying if anyone wants to have someone to walk with. So there's a real kindness and solidarity out there. Amongst great, women, for great, other women. Great. And, and, there and, also, and there also is with, with service providers. Um, so if a woman is beyond nine weeks and they're not going to be accessing the service from a GP, what's the situation in that case? So we still recommend that women go to their GP and the GP will refer them on to uh, a maternity service. And I suppose the GP will know, first of all, what service to refer them on to. Um, and he'll speak to the woman about the process and what's involved. So the woman, again, will be referred on to a maternity service between nine and 12 weeks. You can still have a medical abortion um, and it will be up to the maternity service to assess her and decide whether she has a medical or a surgical abortion. But medical uh, abortion is the preferred option. And uh, there's nine hospitals, is that right now? And hospitals currently, okay, but that's increasing again and work is happening in terms of increasing the number of providers, maternity hospital providers. So just on that, you're happy that there's enough providers at the moment that, are, you know, to facilitate the women who are who are coming to have, try and have abortions. Yeah, that there hasn't been a sense that we don't have enough. I suppose I have to say that people are actively working to make sure that women can access the service and we're looking to improve access all the time. And I suppose there are going to be some women still um, who will travel because they just want to have even more anonymity as well. I don't know if that's going to be the case or whether people will feel. Um, I remember actually my sister saying to me back a long time ago when, when I sort of talked about my abortion that she was thinking that. I wonder when it's legal, will people still want to go anyway? Some yeah, people. Yeah, or there could be enough that you can come to Dublin to the IFPA or the Well Woman. You know, there are options rather than going locally. I mean, the, the key thing is that, like women, as I said, the earlier they, they think about this and make a decision and access services, the better. Because if they go over 12 weeks, then they may end up having to travel. Is there anything else you feel it's important to tell our listeners about this, that that things you've been, questions maybe that have arisen that you might have been surprised by or, you know, just information that people are are asking you for? Uh, No, because a lot of it is just start-up questions and as I said, everything's been resolved. I mean, the key thing to say about the My Options Helpline is that uh, it supports people no matter what their decision. You know, it's a telephone counselling service um, and it's someone that women can go and talk to and they can make up their mind in terms of what they want to do. So, so it's really about providing a space that's that's 
free, accessible and available to women and it's provided by professional counsellors. So so there's a value, I suppose, from our perspective in having that service available and uh, giving women time and space, as I said, and someone solid to listen to and talk through that if if they're experiencing, you know, any kind of indecision or if they're looking for support or looking for uh, uh, um, someone to talk to, then that's available. So just to say that, that like 1-800-828-010, but it's widely advertised and widely available. So the other key thing is just to say it's come up in the last few days is that there are some disingenuous agencies advertising yeah. and promoting themselves. So again, we're saying to people, you know, look for the HSE logo. Look for the HSE My Options, and that's the number. And the services you know, that we fund are all HSE. Yeah, I read branded. one really worrying account of a woman who rang one of these bogus numbers, and the person had been like, I mean, if, it, if this person actually wasn't in a real situation of needing uh, help, but if she had been, or if anyone does ring those numbers, that's it's awful what what the people are saying to them. So it, that's actually illegal, I presume, that, that to be setting yourself up as something you're not in that way. It's it's only women have to report to the guards. So I suppose if a woman doesn't report, then the guards can't prosecute. So so that's it's not that it's illegal. It's just that. So if anybody sees anything going on, like there's people misrepresenting themselves in this area that they should be vocal yeah. about. Or if a woman experiences know. something, then it, it, we would recommend that she goes to the guards. But I suppose just to be clear that you know the HSE logo and the HSE number, when women are looking it up, just to make sure that they're looking up the right information. And Roshan, as you said earlier, like the the website and the information on the website is very readable. It's very accessible. It talks through the procedure in terms of medical abortion, uh, surgical abortion. It talks through, you know, what will happen. Um, so, so again, very detailed and comprehensive information available there for for people to read. You've been working in this area for a number of years. How, how long? Uh, not that long, only five years. Okay, um, uh, so you've been there through the sort of the thick of the campaign and and all of that. How do you feel personally about what's happened and sort of the seismic change? I, I used that word earlier in my in my introduction. I was thinking back to eighty nine when Ivana Bashik was threatened with prison because she was looking at leaflets and do you know to think how far we've come um, is is quite amazing. Have you got a view on that? Are you allowed to give a view on that? I could probably give a personal view. <laughs> yeah, are you allowed <laughs> to give a personal view? view. Um, it's very emotional, you know. Um, as you said at the beginning, it's very emotional. Um, you know, we have funded services that have supported women to travel for a number of years. Um, it's been very difficult for women, and and, and it and it continues to be difficult for for women who are most vulnerable. And, you know, they're always the women, you know, the women in direct provision centres. There are women that have multiple issues going on in their lives. And supporting those women to travel has been, you know, it's been extremely difficult. So to think that those women and every woman can access abortion services in Ireland is an absolutely um, seismic change. It really, you know, makes a huge difference. But I suppose just to say that, you know, we're, we're supporting that and then we're conscious that, you know, there are people that will not agree with this. But, you know, it is about supporting women and it's about every woman making her mind up. Uh, and it's her decision and it's supporting women in terms of the decision she makes for herself at that point in her life. And the thing is, just to go back to those vulnerable people, it is free because the socioeconomic economic thing is really important. It that is. If it was, you know, prohibitive because of cost, that would be horrendous. So it is free. And Nobody's going to have to pay for any of these absolutely. services. Absolutely. And it's accessible through local GPs, which is equally important, you know, so women don't have to go to specialised centre. And it is about, you know, normalising it as part of women's health care. 
Yeah, I think that's going to take a while, even just culturally for the change, for people to accept it as a, just another part of healthcare isn't overnight because no. there's such a, so much baggage still. Yes, yes, yes. It's all going to take time. But the landslide vote shows, you know, how many people are had moved on to such a degree. Um, I, I, we've spent a lot of time and uh, many years on this podcast talking about this issue in, uh, you know, such a a difficult way. It was challenging and um, it was often very dispiriting, a lot of anger, a lot of gnashing of teeth and all that kind of thing. So it is really nice, I have to say personally, Helen, to have a discussion about this that is the kind of discussion we've been wanting to have. That this is a normal challenge that many women face in their lives, uh, that they should be supported through it and the support is there now from yes. a statutory point yes. of view, from a healthcare point of view. There will be other issues. It's not It's not perfect, like you said, and we are going to return to those and we're going to look at those and we'll be keeping a close eye. So I hope you'll come in and, and talk to us about those things when they arise, as they will do with any new medical um, service. But until then, thank you very much, Helen, for coming in to talk to us. Thank you, Roisin. And that's it for today. Thanks to Helen Dealey for coming in to talk to us about the services. Thanks too to my co-producer Jennifer Ryan and to Dr Angela Byrne from the Epic Museum where that brilliant exhibition is going on called Blazing a Trail. Remember, you can subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and you can always find us on irishtimes.com with loads of other great shows like Worldview and Inside Politics. You can get in touch with us on Twitter and Facebook at IT Women's Podcast or email us on thewomenspodcast at irishtimes.com. The Women's Podcast is produced by myself, Roisin Ingle, and by Jennifer Ryan with JJ Vernon on sound. Until next time, thanks for listening. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 